Nice. Thank you, Cam. Philippians, starting from chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart and, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And um, I was saying to Cam before the service, this is a bit of a different church visit. I get to do this to lots of different churches um, to share about the work of ES, but today's a bit different because I've got to come back next week. So a bit different context. But um, great to be here this morning. And particularly if this is your first time at Tonsley, welcome. Uh, you've come at a great time, not just because the weather is warm in winter at Tonsley, um, but also because we're starting a new series in the book of Philippians. And it's a wonderful part of God's word, just filled with such joy and hope. Um, as we start this series, um, I want you to ponder this question. What day are you looking forward to at the moment? Um, I work on campus, as you know, um, and I know for our university students in the room at the moment, the day they are just eagerly longing for and looking forward to is the end of semester when they finish that last assignment or exam. I suspect our high school students feel similar. Um, our, newborn, uh, our parents of newborns, uh, I didn't catch the name, I heard Owen earlier, the newborn, but um, I know the day that you guys are looking forward to, the one that you think will never come, is when you get a full night's sleep again. It does come, persevere. Um, but over the last couple of months, as we have settled at Tonsley, um, I've, we've noticed actually there's a day that for people, almost everyone in this church is longing for. It's a day that you patiently persevere and wait for. And when this day arrives, it just brings such great joy. It's the day when you get the birthday song finally sung to you. It's just such a glorious day. What day, though, are you really looking forward to at the moment? The day that you think, when this day arrives, life will be good. Things will be okay. I start this question because much of the book of Philippians, for Paul and Timothy, the day that they have in mind is the day of Christ. Actually, in our Bible reading today, you might have noticed it come up twice, in verse 5 and then again in verse 10. Um, but the, all the way through the book, this day is in mind. Uh, the day of Christ simply speaks of the day of Jesus' return. It's the day he comes to judge the living and the dead. It's the day where the salvation of Jesus' people is finally revealed. 
where we're transformed to be like Jesus in a new glorious body. And it's the day where this broken and groaning creation will be restored and renewed, where the new heaven and the new earth, this place where righteousness dwells, is established. And in the book of Philippians, we see that this day, the day of Christ, it's not just something that they're looking forward to, but it deeply shapes how they live now. It's a day that shapes their purpose. Their purpose now in life is related to the gospel. In Philippians, we'll see that they proclaim the gospel. They defend the gospel. They call this church to live a life worthy of the gospel, to strive together as one for the faith of the gospel. And they do this because they know that on that final day, the thing that will matter most for everyone is whether they've heard this news and responded to it. But the day of Christ doesn't just shape their purpose in life. It also enables perseverance in following Jesus. Because if you haven't worked it out already, following Jesus is tough. It's costly. It's challenging. It will cause you to miss out on certain things in this life. And for people that know and love us, to them, our lives won't just look different at times. Our lives will look foolish, risky, and even potentially dangerous. Yet Paul and Timothy persevere as they eagerly await the appearing of their saviour, the Lord Jesus. And Paul's someone that can write from experience. Um, At the time he writes this letter, he's actually in prison for the gospel. He's someone who has suffered greatly. He faces opposition wherever he goes. He even faces opposition from Christians. Yet they persevere as he knows the day of Christ will come. Now for us today at Tonsley... um, I woke up today and I was thinking about the day of Christ because I knew I had to preach on the day of Christ. But most days when I wake up, I probably don't have the day of Christ in mind. Um, Sometimes life now is just so good, particularly in Adelaide. I feel this at the moment. My football team is on a record winning streak. Life is good. But at times, life is also just so relentlessly busy, isn't it? We're just in survival mode, getting through each day, just getting to the weekend, you know, facing the pressure of paying the bills, constantly being interrupted by our phones, just trying to balance the pressure of work, family, church, and the other commitments we have, that the day of Christ kind of drops down the priority order. Wherever we're at today, my prayer for our time in the book of Philippians is that as we ponder again who Jesus is, as we think of what he has done for us and what is to come at his return, My prayer is that our hope and our joy in Jesus would be rekindled and ignited and that our lives would be lived with gospel purpose and perseverance. So with that introduction to the series, um, let's work through today's passage. Um, Please keep your Bibles open so you can follow along. Um, We're just going to be looking at Philippians 1 verses 1 to 11. And I've titled today's talk, Gospel-Shaped Prayer, as we see both Paul give uh, the Philippians what he thanks this church for, what he thanks God for this church, the reason, Uh, but he also shares what he prays for this church. Uh, But at the beginning, though, he simply just writes to say g'day. In verse 1, they write, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a letter written by Paul and Timothy. 
um, I love how they describe themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. Paul's one of the most significant leaders in the early church. He's an apostle of Christ going around the world sharing this news. He's the founder of this church. Yet when they make introductions, he reminds them that we're just servants, servants of Jesus. And they're writing to a church in Philippi. Now this letter is written to everyday Christians in the church, just like you and me. And Paul and Timothy are clear, they're not just writing to the leaders, but to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Did you notice how they describe Christians? I think often when Christians think of themselves, they think of themselves as sinners who have been saved by grace. And there's a truth in that, um, because we battle sin every day and we're acutely aware of the grace that we still need. But Paul reminds them, actually, that they are holy that because of Jesus, they have been made holy. And that's actually his common greeting to most churches. So this is a letter from Paul and Timothy writing to everyday Christians who have been made holy by Jesus. And this seems quite obvious, but it's worth highlighting that the book of Philippians is first and foremost a letter, a letter written to a real church facing real issues. So it's worth actually knowing a few things about this place. Um, Philippi was a city in, you can actually go to eastern Greece today and see its ruins. Um, Or like me, you can hop on Wikipedia and type in Philippi and you'll see a few photos of the ruins around. Um, But it was a place uh, that was significant in the ancient world. Um, And it was named not after Philip from Tonsley, uh, but Philip the Great. He was Alexander the Great's father. So it's a really historical place in the world. And when it was under Roman rule, it turned, it just boomed. Um, it turned into a retirement town for Roman soldiers. Uh, not unlike Victor Harbour, it's close to the beach. It just seems 2,000 years ago or today, that's the place you go to retire. But the reason why that's important to know is that because of its demographic, it was incredibly loyal to Rome. And this made it a really hard place to be a Christian because you would eventually face the, the question as a Christian, who are you loyal to? Are you going to be loyal to our emperor? Caesar? Or are you going to be loyal to this other king, Jesus? Even from the birth of this church, you can read about it in Acts 16 when Paul first goes to the city to share the gospel. Straight after, he's beaten and thrown in prison. Uh, when he writes to the Thessalonian church, he talks about this. He said, We previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi. So, all that's to say is this context is really helpful to understand that this church is in a place where it's hard to be a Christian, where they do experience suffering for the gospel. And for us today, we know this letter isn't written directly to us at Tonsley, but we know it's part of our scripture and it is written for us, for our benefit. And if actually you feel like the world that we're living in now is becoming harder and harder to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, I suspect there's some really helpful things that this book will have for us in persevering in our faith. And up front, I love in their greeting that Paul and Timothy remind this church of what they have received in the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. After this introduction, after saying good day to this church, the first thing Paul and Timothy want to do is tell this church why they're so thankful to God. In verse 3, they write, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So why are Paul and Timothy so thankful to God for this church? Because this church has partnered in the gospel. Now, I've said the word the gospel quite a bit already, and I haven't defined it. Um, gospel simply means good news. And when we read it in the Bible, it always talks about the good news of Jesus, that Jesus has died for our sins, that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that we have a sure hope of a resurrection and being with our Lord, but also that Jesus is a king. And he has power and can defeat our enemies of sin, Satan, and death and invites us into his everlasting kingdom. Sometimes I wonder when we use the word just good news to describe this, does it feel too small? It's momentous news. It's huge news. It's the most amazing news that impacts our eternity but transforms our lives right now. And up front in this letter, Paul wants to thank this church. He wants to let them know that when he thinks of them, I'm just filled with joy because you have partnered with me in the work of the gospel. Now, this word partnership um, in the original Greek language uh, is a word called koinia. Um, elsewhere, it actually gets translated in our Bibles as fellowship or contribution or participation or sharing. I grew up actually in a church when, whenever I heard the language of fellowship used, it primarily described that 30-minute slot after church, you know, where you get your cup of tea, a few bickies, and you chat for half an hour. Um, but that's not the biblical idea of the word fellowship. Uh, Don Carson, a great biblical scholar, says, the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. And that vision in Philippians 1 is that of seeing the gospel go forward. So I actually think the translations of this word of sharing, contributing, participating are really helpful as they describe this active role that we play in partnering in the work of the gospel. And Paul is just so thankful to this church because from the first day they came to believe until the moment he pens this letter, they have been working together. In verse 6, he says that he's confident, actually, that the one who began a good work in this church, that's God, would carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Now, not only this church has come to faith because of the gospel, but they have joined in the work of proclaiming it, and Paul is confident that that will keep on going and that God will complete his good work in this church until the day of Jesus' return. What this tells us is that gospel partnership is only enabled by God himself, and it's sustained by him too. It's his gospel that we proclaim. Now, over the next month, uh, two months maybe, we'll be working through the book of Philippians. And I love the book because it so tangibly articulates what gospel partnership looks like. You might wonder why we ask people to pray, to give, to support the work uh, or other gospel partners do. And actually, we just see this in Philippians. In chapter one, we see that gospel partnership involves prayer. And prayer really does make a difference. Paul prays that this church prays for this church, and he acknowledges later in the chapter that this church has been praying for him and that God has worked through their prayers to deliver him in his situation. In chapter 2, we see that gospel partnership involves people. 
The church has sent Epaphroditus as a co-worker in the gospel to work alongside Paul. And now Paul hopes to send Timothy to them because Timothy cares about this church. He wants to see this church strengthened in the gospel. In chapter 4, we see that gospel partnership involves money. Paul thanks this church because they were the only church in the early days of his ministry that partnered with him in the matter of giving and receiving. Yet in the final chapter, he actually says this in chapter 4. He, he says, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more be credited to your account. Paul desires that this church would use their resources for the sake of the gospel. And I think the reason he does this is because he knows on the day of Christ, the thing that will matter most is the gospel. Actually, the day of Christ is so important to keep in mind when you think of gospel partnership, because it is costly. We've got limited time, limited energy, limited resources, so to give them up for something else, like gospel work, will require sacrifice. Carson says the true heart of fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. But though gospel partnership is costly, did you notice the joy and thanksgiving that it brings in the book of Philippians? And as I pondered this this week and wondered, why does gospel partnership lead to such joy and thanksgiving? I think the reason it does is God's people contribute to the thing they most long to see happen in this world. They simply just want to see more people come to know and love and worship Jesus. Because God's people have compassion for the lost. We know ourselves were once lost until someone proclaimed the gospel to us. But God's people also care about the honour and glory of Jesus. And on that final day, we just want to see more people around his throne, worshipping and praising his name. God's people partner in the gospel. They tangibly participate in the thing they value most in their hearts. And this naturally overflows into joy and thanksgiving. Um, now, ES staff workers, Laura in the room, used to be an ES staff worker. She was my trainer. So if you think this isn't a great sermon, go talk to her after. Um, but we are very familiar with gospel partnership. Um, I didn't mention this earlier, but ES staff workers are 100% funded by God's people. The uni contributes zero to us being on campus. And actually, this is wonderful because we have no constraints on what we can and can't say concerning Jesus. We have great freedom to share the gospel. And as God's people partner with us, I'm just constantly astounded at how generous and sacrificial they are. But not only that, how they then thank us for the opportunity and the privilege to partner I think they do this because they know that they're unable to contribute to the thing they value most deeply. And in, in all honesty, sometimes it feels wrong. Like, shouldn't we be thanking them for contributing and enabling us to be on campus? And we do. We do thank them. Um, but I'm always astonished at how, how our partners in the gospel thank us for the opportunity to contribute to the work and actually share in the joy of seeing people come to know Jesus. In verse 7 and 8, uh, Paul then goes on to share how he feels about this church. And you might not have ever noticed how gushy Paul gets when he writes his letters. In verse 7, he says, It's right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, just imagine you're sitting in this church in Philippi 2,000 years ago. I know it's hard to imagine, but you receive this letter and it's read out. And you know at the start, you hear that Paul says he's just a servant of Jesus Christ, but you know he's the great apostle. He's gone over the world sharing the gospel. He's the person that first brought the gospel to your city. Like you're a believer because he came here and shared that message. You know, Paul's an absolute superstar. But he says to you, each of you, share in God's grace with me. He says, I have you in my heart. He says, God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I think what these verses tell us about gospel partnership is that gospel partnership is no cold business relationship. It's something that's actually characterized by deep love and affection. And the really remarkable thing is, as you think of Paul, he'd barely visited this church. He hadn't sent prayer emails or text message updates, you know, no FaceTime or Zoom back in that day. So how can he say he longs for this church with such great affection? Well, I think it's because they share in the thing that is most precious to each of them, the gospel itself, and that they're working together to see that go forward. A few years ago um, at our old church, a bunch of the blokes went to Adelaide Men's Convention. I don't know if a few of you guys went last uh, a couple of weeks back. Um, and actually at Adelaide's Men's Convention that year, Philippians 1 was preached. And um, during the talk, um, I looked across and there was an older fella in my church who was just bawling. He was in tears. And you know, I've got to say, if there was ever a place I wouldn't want to be caught crying, it was probably a room of 500 other men standing around me. But um, he was just breaking down as Philippians 1 was preached. And a few weeks later, I caught up with him and we just were talking. And he actually shared with me why he was in tears during that talk. Um, he, he actually became a believer at uni as well. Um, and during that time, he always felt that he wanted to personally contribute to the work of the gospel. Maybe to even go overseas and share the message in a place that has less access to the gospel. Um, but as he finished his degree, um, he started working as a graduate. Soon after, had a young family to feed. Um, and he just rose through his profession, ended up owning a business. Um, and all his life, as he looked back now, just as he retired, he wondered, did I make the wrong choice? He felt like he hadn't personally contributed to the work of the gospel. But as he heard Philippians 1 unpacked that day, and the idea of partnership, not as just supporting someone else to do the work or enabling others to do the work, but as participation as sharing in the very work itself, he realized that actually the thing he cared about most deeply in his heart, he had contributed to his whole life personally. It was such a beautiful moment. It was tears of joy for him because he knew, he knew that his life had been lived in a way that would matter on the day of Christ. A few questions to ponder this week um, as you think about Philippians 1. Uh, first is, who are you partnering in the gospel with? And as you think about that question, I actually think the first place we should think of is our local church, that we're actually partnering in the gospel here. We come here each Sunday, we work together so that our local suburbs would come to know the good news of Jesus. Uh, but like in Philippians, who are those outside of our local church who we partner with that the gospel would go forward? 
Second thing is as you consider these people, as you think about your prayers, your encouragement, your finances that enable the work, do you just view it as supporting them to do it? Or do you view it as personally contributing to that work? Because that's the way Philippians 1 describes partnership in the gospel. And my third challenge, and blokes, this might be a bit hard, but I have shared already, we do cry, it's okay, is how can you express your love and affection this month for those that you partner in the gospel with? Paul wrote this letter and let this church know how he felt about them. Maybe it's, I know, the Purdy family who are in South America who we partner with as a church. Maybe write them a letter or send them an email. Just say, I'm so thankful that I can contribute to the gospel going forward in South America. Thanks for enabling me to do that. Maybe it's someone else or something else, but how can you express your love and affection for those you partner in the gospel with this month? Verses three to eight, Paul thanks God for the Philippian church's partnership in the gospel He then goes on in the final verses to share what he prays for this church. He says, this is my prayer in verse 9, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you might be able to discern what's best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays that this church's love would abound in knowledge and depth of insight. But notice the reason why he prays this. He doesn't just pray it that they would feel love or that they would come across as really lovely, kind people. But he prays it that their love would matter. He prays that they would discern what is best. That it would actually impact their decisions, their life. And that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I hear this prayer and I think, wow, this is a wonderful prayer. I long for my life to be characterized by this more and more, that I would make good decisions, I would discern what is best, that I would be pure and blameless for that final day. But though I desire it and think it's a good thing, I recognize I've got a great problem because my life isn't characterized by being pure and blameless. You know, I'm slowly making steps to grow in my Christ-likeness, but I'm not going to get there, this side of meeting Jesus face to face. But did you notice what Paul says straight after in verse 11? That our lives would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The only thing that enables us to be pure and blameless on that last day is the gospel itself. It's not how good we partner in the gospel with others, but it's actually what Jesus has done for us. Not that he's only died for our sins, but he's given us his righteousness, that when we stand before God on that last day, we'll be declared righteous in his sight, holy, pure, and blameless. We've got such assurance in Christ. But at the same time, this good news deeply impacts and transforms our lives today that we long each day to see the fruit of Jesus' righteousness in dis- on display as we grow to become more like him, that our lives would be lived to the glory and praise of God. To finish up today, I really do want to just echo Cam's encouragement earlier to look at the prayer diary this month and to pray through it. I think Philippians 1 encourages us 
to pray prayers that will matter on the day of Christ. I'm all for prayers about the here and now. Help me, Lord. I've got this thing right now I need help with today. Um, But more and more as I read the scriptures and see the prayers that are prayed there, I notice that they're prayers that will be significant into eternity. And I had a look actually just at the first week because if I was going to commend this prayer diary, I wanted to make sure it was good. I trust Cam though. He commended it too. But it was brilliant. Um, It just simply slowed you down in Philippians, helped you reflect on the passage and then pray in response. Um, So can I encourage our church this week to just carve out time each day to pray those prayers for ourselves, for our church, and for those further afield that we're partnering in the gospel with, to pray prayers that will matter on the day of Christ. I started today by asking, what day are you looking forward to? I hope the day of Christ is the answer now. But we do all too easily lose sight of that day, don't we? And you know, by Tuesday, other things will be happening in our lives that will distract us. Um, But I hope from today we can see that it's worth reflecting. It is worth considering what will really matter on that day. And the answer Philippians 1 gives us today is the gospel itself will matter. It's that we see more and more people hear this news, that we participate in proclaiming it and sharing the joy of this work that God enables us to do, and that we ourselves have our lives transformed by this gospel, that they would be lived to the glory and praise of God. Let me pray, and then I'll hand back over. Um, Father in heaven, we just thank you for this part of your word and how it's just filled with such joy and hope and thankfulness. And we thank you firstly, though, just for the grace and the peace that we have received through our Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you've not only offered us salvation through the gospel, but by your grace, you also entrust us with the message. And we thank you for the joy it is to participate in the thing that we value most deeply in our hearts and in something that we know will have significance on the day of Christ. Over the coming months, Father, we just pray that you would rekindle our joy and our hope in Jesus and that our lives would be lived with greater gospel purpose and perseverance. We pray this in his name. Amen.